So, 2019 years ago, today, uh, Jesus entered Jerusalem on a donkey uh, as the king of Israel and fully rejected by the religious leaders. We're going to have Easter services next Sunday. We're going to look at Jesus' death on the cross. We're not having a Good Friday service. Then we're going to look at his resurrection told through the eyes of Thomas. But for today's message, we're going to see how Jesus, well, what Jesus did just this week before, 2019 years ago, how he came to enter Jerusalem uh, as someone revered, honored, and then how he ended up on a cross just within five days. Okay, the Bible Project is a great resource. Hands up if you've heard of the Bible Project before. Yeah, they do great online videos, a great book, uh, really, really helpful to give you an overview of what each book of the Bible contains, like a visual overview. And it says this about the uh, build-up to the death of Lazarus. It says, Jesus hears that his dear friend Lazarus is sick, but his family lives in Jerusalem. That city is now a death trap for Jesus, and he could stay away and save his own life, but he loves Lazarus. Once Jesus hears that Lazarus has died, he goes to raise him from the dead. Jesus calls him back to life and out of his tomb, knowing that it will cost him his life. The news of this amazing sign spreads quickly, and just as Jesus knew what happened, Jerusalem leaders hear about it and conspire to murder him. So in the build-up in the first 10 chapters of John, we see Jesus doing miraculous signs. And a miraculous sign is a signpost. And the signposts that Jesus is doing are all pointing to him, kind of saying, I am God. We get all of these I am statements throughout the beginning of John. And every time that Jesus does this, the crowds are impressed, people are amazed, and the religious leaders become furious. Like Jesus is committing blasphemy. And then we're going to have this final miracle, the raising of Lazarus from the dead. And it points to Jesus again being the Messiah. In fact, it points to Jesus. He says, I am the resurrection and the life, we'll see through this text. And that's the final straw for the religious leaders. So this is a signpost. The miracle with Lazarus is a signpost for what is to come on Easter Sunday. I'm going to pray. And then I'll go through the text. We bow your heads. Father God, thank you that you showed us your glory through Jesus Christ. Thank you that he was willing to lay down his life for friends. Thank you for what that meant for Lazarus. Thank you for what that means for each one of us. Father, each person here has different things going on in their own lives, uh, emotionally, relationally, in circumstances. I pray that through your word, through the scripture where Lazarus is raised from the dead, that you will give us hope of change in our lives. You'll give us hope of resurrection within our lives. Be with us now, in Jesus' name, amen. There's 44 verses I'm going to teach through. I'm going to break it into three sections. Now, the first time I read Scripture 
it always goes straight over my head. I never fully understand what it says until I read it a second time. So I propose to do is in each of the three sections. So the first one is the death of Lazarus, then Jesus comforts Lazarus' sisters, and then finally Jesus raises Lazarus from the dead. I'm going to read the text, then I'm going to go back into it, read the text, and just pull out some key highlights. A slightly different uh, way of teaching today. So verses 1 to 16, the death of Lazarus. Now, a man named Lazarus was sick. He was from Bethany, the village of Mary and her sister Martha. This Mary, whose brother Lazarus now lay sick, was the same one who poured perfume on the Lord and wiped his feet with her hair. So the sisters sent word to Jesus, Lord, the one you love is sick. When he heard this, Jesus said, this sickness will not end in death. No, it's for God's glory, so that God's Son may be glorified through it. Now Jesus loved Martha and her sister and Lazarus. So, when he heard that Lazarus was sick, he stayed where he was two more days. And then he said to his disciples, let us go back to Judea. But Rabbi, they said, a short while ago the Jews there tried to stone you, and yet you're going back? Jesus answered, are there not twelve hours of daylight? Anyone who walks in the daytime will not stumble, for they see by this world's light. It is when a person walks at night that they stumble, for they have no light. After he had said this, he went on to tell them, Our friend Lazarus has fallen asleep, but I am going there to wake him up. His disciples replied, Lord, if he sleeps, he'll get better. Jesus had been speaking of his death, but his disciples thought he meant natural sleep. So then he told them plainly, Lazarus is dead, and for your sake I am glad I was not there, so that you may believe, but let us go to him. Then Thomas, also known as Didymus, said to the rest of the disciples, let us also go, that we may die with him. Pick up uh, Thomas's story next week. Just a couple of things to point out in the text. I'll read it through again and then stop at verse 6. Now, a man named Lazarus was sick. Is from Bethany, the village of Mary and her sister Martha. This Mary, whose brother Lazarus now lay sick, was the same one who performed, oh, sorry, who poured perfume on the Lord and wiped his feet with her hair. So the sisters sent word to Jesus, Lord, the one you love is sick. Pause. John, as a disciple, as an uh, apostle, described himself as the one Jesus loved. And you'll see throughout the New Testament, the closer you get to Jesus, the less you describe yourself as someone that loves Jesus, the more you know that the very essence of your identity is that you are loved by Jesus. Continue verse 4. When he heard this, Jesus said, this sickness will not end in death. No, it's for God's glory so that the Son may be glorified through it. Now, Jesus loved Martha and her sister and Lazarus so and come back to that in a moment. When he heard that Lazarus was sick, he stayed where he was two more days. And then he said to his disciples, let us go back to Judea. So he hears that Lazarus is sick, and so can be translated as therefore. So he has this desperate plea for help from people who love him, that someone he loved was very, very sick. And so to demonstrate His love, this is what John is saying here, he waits two more days. 
What is going on there? Lazarus is in a place two miles from Jerusalem. Jesus is 110 miles away. It's going to take three or four days walking. It's an urgent situation. He needs to get going. But instead, he waits two more days. Back to verse 8. But Rabbi, they said, a short while ago, the Jews there tried to stone you, and yet you're going back? Jesus answered, Are there not twelve hours of daylight? Anyone who walks in the daytime will not stumble, for they see by this world's light. It's when a person walks at night that they stumble, for they have no light. So we've looked at Jesus shows his love by delay. We're going to now look at the importance of obedience from this text. So Jesus knows that when he's returning south, he's going back to dreadful danger. It's not like his disciples are telling him something new. But he comes up with this kind of cryptic expression. Are there not 12 hours of daylight? We know, and through the gospel of John and one John, that God is light. So to walk in the day means to walk in obedience. So Jesus is saying it's better to obey God, even if it means walking into danger, rather than not obeying him. And we know that Jesus is the light of the world. It's better to follow Jesus, whatever's happening in our lives, into something difficult, potentially. But we need to obey him. It's always better to follow him, be in his presence, uh, in obedience, than be somewhere easy and not in obedience. Uh, We did Psalm 23 last week. We were talking about... uh, David's talking about God being the uh, shepherd. And he says, like, Lord, you lead me in right paths. And then the next verse, he says, and even though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death. As I taught through that, I explained that the sheep would graze in the lowlands uh, over wintertime. And as summer came, the uh, snow would melt from the mountains. And a shepherd would lead them up a rocky path up to better land. And Jesus is again showing this. He's saying it's much better to follow the shepherd. It's much better to follow God than it is to not follow him. Back to verse 11. After he had said this, he went on to tell them, our friend Lazarus has fallen asleep, but I'm going there to wake him up. So we speak about divine revelation from God. Jesus had some divine revelation here. So you wonder what he was doing for two days. He probably wasn't being overly productive by American standards. But he was waiting in God's presence for a piece of divine revelation. He says with confidence, Lazarus is, is asleep. He means Lazarus is dead. There's no text messages. There's no emails. People couldn't run that far. And he just knows he's waiting for this divine revelation. And then he hears it. And then he says, but I'm going there to wake him up. So Jesus is obeying God. He waits. It's not popular. Gets divine revelation, and then he goes. So if God is asking us to do something in obedience, we can hear what it is, but we also need to know when. It's a little pastoral bit there. Uh, The when is really important. Uh, Verse 12, the disciples replied, Lord, if he sleeps, he'll get better. Jesus had been speaking of his death, but his disciples thought he meant natural sleep. So he told them plainly, Lazarus is dead, and for your sake I am glad I was not there, so that you may believe. Let us go to him. 
So Jesus, this shows why Jesus waited two days. He waited two days so Lazarus would be fully dead. And he wanted his disciples to have a much deeper faith, a deeper understanding of who Jesus was. This, the resurrection of Lazarus, is kind of the final signpost before Jesus goes into Jerusalem. Jesus is saying, I have resurrection power, and I'm going to lay down my life for my friend. And then we go to Thomas said, the rest of his disciples, let us go also with him that we may die with him. Uh, Talk is easy, as we see from Thomas. Doing is something different. So the death of Lazarus, we've looked at Jesus shows his love by delay, the importance of obedience, and he's saying he's doing it. He wants to prove his power and his identity to his followers before he enters into Jerusalem, which he did 2019 years ago. Second section, Jesus comforts the sisters of Lazarus, verses 17 to 33. On his arrival, Jesus found that Lazarus had already been in the tomb for four days. Now, Bethany was less than two miles from Jerusalem, and many Jews had come to Mary and Martha to comfort them in the loss of their brother. When Martha heard that Jesus was coming, she went out to meet him, but Mary stayed at home. Lord, Mary said to Jesus, if you had been here, my brother would not have died. But I know that even now God will give you whatever you ask. Jesus said to her, your brother will rise again. Martha answered, I know he'll rise again in the resurrection at the last day. Jesus said to her, I am the resurrection and the life. The one who believes in me will live even though they die. And whoever lives by believing in me will never die. Do you believe this? Yes, Lord, she replied. I believe that you are the Messiah, the Son of God, who is to come into the world. After she'd said this, she went back and called her sister Mary aside. The teacher is here, she said, and is asking for you. When Mary heard this, she got up quickly and went to him. Now Jesus had not yet entered the village, was still at a place where Martha had met him. When the Jews who had been with Mary in the house, comforting her, noticed how quickly she got up and went out, they followed her, supposing she was going to the tomb to mourn there. When Mary reached the place where Jesus was and saw him, she fell at his feet and said, Lord, if you had been here, my brother would not have died. When Jesus saw her weeping, and the Jews who had come along with her also weeping, he was deeply moved in spirit and troubled. Where have you laid him? he asked. Come and see, Lord, they replied. Jesus wept. Then the Jews said, see how he loved him. Some of them said, could not he who opened the eyes of the blind have kept this man from dying? Going back through, uh, we'll see that Jesus delayed to make sure Lazarus was legitimately dead. He also points directly to himself in the face of great grief and when someone's deeply troubled. Instead of comforting them, he kind of goes... Look at me. And we also see he's utterly outraged by death. Utterly outraged by it. And yet at the same time is tender enough to weep. 
So on his arrival, Jesus found that Lazarus had already been in the tomb for two, uh, sorry, for four days. Now, math is, if Jesus had left as soon as he got the news, Lazarus would still have been dead two days. It was four days' journey. But there was a Jewish superstition at the time that thought, and it's in rabbinical literature, that a soul hovered over the body until it started to see decay. And on the fourth day, when it started to see decay, it would then depart. And that meant that death was then judged irreversible. Now, Jesus didn't believe in this superstition, but he knew it was a superstition. And so if Jesus wanted to demonstrate his resurrection power, he would need to wait for that body to have been dead for four days, for it started to decompose so that people would go, oh, you have resurrection power. Now, we've got great advances in medicine and technology. But still, some people look dead when they're not actually dead. This is from the Business Insider, January the 10th, 2018. It says this, A man in Spain was declared dead by three doctors and sent to the morgue for an autopsy. But he wasn't actually dead. He may suffer from an unusual medical condition that makes a person's vital signs drop to undetectable levels. Taphophobia, or the fear of being buried alive, just puts that in cheerily, uh, is one of the most common phobias, for good reason too, as the idea of waking up inside of a coffin is a fairly horrifying one. Doctors are usually pretty certain when they declare someone dead. But according to reports from the Spanish newspaper La Voz de Asturias, I actually pretended I can speak Spanish. Uh, one, just do it with confidence. It sounds like you know what you're doing. Uh, one man was recently sent to the morgue only to be heard snoring a few hours later. The article, and this is where I prove I don't know Spanish, the article says Gonzalo Montoya Jimenez, an inmate at a jail in the Asturias region of Spain, was dead by three separate doctors. He apparently regained consciousness mere hours before an autopsy was due to be performed on him. As his family say, he had markings drawn on him, all ready to be opened up. Here is an understatement. Luckily, <laughs> before the procedure <coughs> excuse me, luckily, before the procedure started, Jimenez started showing signs of life and was quickly transferred to a nearby hospital. And it goes on to say what the illness was. Catalepsy is a condition characterized by inactivity, decreased responsiveness to stimuli, and a tendency to maintain an immobile posture. According to the National Center for Biotechnology Information, often the purse vital signs, such as breathing and heartbeat, drop to very low levels, so nearly undetectable, even by doctors. A person's Limbs tend to remain in whatever position they are placed, the NCBI says, which can be mistaken for rigor mortis, the third stage of death. Uh, catalepsy can sometimes be a symptom of epilepsy, which Jimenez suffers from. He may have missed taking his medicine in the past few weeks due to the unpredictability of prison, the family said. When Jimenez was resurrected, guys, this is a lesson, the first thing he did was ask for his wife. Doctors said his brain was deprived of oxygen for a while, but he's able to speak and remember things which are both good signs. With Professor Google, you can find out many, many more situations of illnesses that people had where their vital signs were so low that people did not know they were dead. 
And so it wouldn't have been uh, newspaper-worthy back then that people would be assumed to be dead, and then they would kind of regain consciousness. That's probably where this superstition came. So Jesus deliberately waits. What we learn from this is that God is a God of surprises, and sometimes he represents his love by delay. And so us on the ground level, it doesn't always make sense. We just sit with that for a moment. Think of something that's happening in your life. And you're thinking, where is God in this situation? What is he doing? Maybe he's delaying and he's going to show his love for you through that delay. It might not make sense now, but it will do. Back to verse 18. Now, Bethany was less than two miles from Jerusalem, and many Jews had come to Mary and Martha to comfort them in the loss of their brother. When Martha heard that Jesus was coming, she went out to meet him, but Mary stayed at home. Lord, Martha said to Jesus, if you had been here, my brother would not have died. She's not rebuking him. She's just kind of saying, uh, I know that you're a really, really good person, and you can heal sick people. It's just a kind of regretful uh, situation. Uh, but I know that even God will give you whatever you ask. Jesus said to her, your brother will rise again. Mary answered, I know he'll rise again in the resurrection at the last day. She believed that Jesus was the Messiah. Believing that Jesus was the Messiah, you think that God comes in the fullness of time to raise the living and the dead to judgment. She understood that. She didn't know what Jesus was about to do. This is a distraught lady, someone who Jesus deeply loves. And he comforts her by pointing to himself. Jesus said to her, I am, that means God, uh, the resurrection and the life. That's like Tom Brady saying, I am football. It's like Cristiano Ronaldo saying, I am football. Uh, It's like Ronald McDonald. No, I'm going to do Ronald McDonald. Uh, he said, I am the resurrection and the life. The one who believes in me will live. Believes, translated actually, believes into. It means a personal trust in Jesus. Jesus is saying, if you trust me, uh, you'll, you'll be brought to him. You'll be in a union with him. So we read it today. If you believe in him, You trust into Jesus, you'll be in a union with him. So if we know people that are in the midst of loss, if we ourselves are in the midst of loss, the most comforting thing we can possibly do, and it's difficult, is to focus on Jesus. We may not know what the answer is, the what or the why, but we can be comforted by his presence. And then when he says, you will surely live, He means you'll have the spiritual life now and you'll triumph over death. She's able to say this in verse 26. And whoever lives believing in me will never die. Do you believe this? When we put our faith and trust in Jesus, we get eternal life at that point. And so death no longer has a sting. It is just asleep until we're resurrected again. Then we see here something fascinating. We're going to see that Jesus is 
outraged at death. Uh, Because of time, I'm going to move to verse 33. Uh, Mary's come up to Jesus, repeated kind of what Martha had said. Lord, if you'd been here, my brother would not have died. Verse 33, when Jesus saw her weeping, and the Jews who had come along with her also weeping, he was deeply moved in spirit and troubled. Deeply moved can have a variety of translations. Another one would be furious. Another one would be outraged. So Jesus is looking at the result of sin that has come into the world, and the result is death. And he's furious about it. These are people that he loves. He sees people the whole world over grieving. He has tremendous compassion for them. And he's furious at what the devil did to trick Adam and Eve. He's furious that we kind of, uh, sin has this terrible impact in our lives and other people's lives. It's like a parent cradling a child in their arms that has been hit by a stray bullet. It's, it's an outrage, and yet we also see that Jesus wept. So he's all-powerful and furious, but yet compassionate and tender. A child being hit by a bullet is not unheard of. Uh, we are 30 miles away from the bean. Travel another six miles, if you wanted to this afternoon, you'd end up in Englewood. This is the news report from last weekend in Englewood from CBS. More than 30 people in Chicago were shot over the weekend, three of them fatally. As Chicago had its warmest weekend in six months. What you'll see is we've become so used to terrible things that we bookmark it with weather conditions. Wait for the end of this. Uh, Chicago had its warmest weekend in six months. Between 5 p.m. Friday and early Monday morning, a total of 31 people were shot in Chicago. Three of those victims died. The violence also included a mass shooting at a baby shower in West Englewood. Six people, including an eight-year-old boy and a 10-year-old girl, were wounded. The most recent fatal shooting was around 8.30 Sunday, near 67th and Normal in the Englewood neighborhood. Police said a 52-year-old man was found dead at the scene with a gunshot wound to his head. And there's more. A couple of hours earlier, a 32-year-old man was shot multiple times near 66th and Maryland in the Woodlawn neighborhood. He was taken to University of Chicago Medical Center where he was pronounced dead. Shortly before 4 p.m. Saturday, a 22-year-old man and a 19-year-old man were standing in an alley near Steuben and Vincennes in the Morgan Park neighborhood when someone in an SUV began shooting at them. The 19-year-old man died at Advocate Christ Medical Center in Oak Lawn. The 22-year-old man was not seriously wounded. The weekend's gun violence also included a mass shooting at a gender reveal party Saturday evening near 63rd and Seeley. Six people were injured, including two children. All were stable and recovering Sunday night except eight-year-old Mekki Magruder, who was taken to Cormor Children's Hospital in critical condition. He's been upgraded to serious condition Monday morning. Chicago Fire Department's officials said the child had a collapsed lung, so paramedics had to perform a life-saving procedure 
during the ambulance ride to the hospital. This is from a gender reveal party. And you probably haven't even heard it because we're so used to it. Loved loved ones told CBS he was wounded after shots were fired among a crowd of kids attending a gender reveal party. In the celebration of new life, a life is also damaged, said Reverend Roderick Gardner of Coptic Faith Temple, who lives, works, and worships in West Englewood. Praise him. So I'm threefold connected to this community. It's troubling because their life is forever changed. Chicago police said 10-year-old girl was also among the six victims in his stable after being shot in the shin. The reverend continues saying, I often see the children playing. They know us and we know them. The other four victims, all adults between the ages of 23 and 42, are expected to survive. Another understatement. Reverend Gardner says, I'm troubled because we've worked in this neighborhood for years. And this is how CBS bookmark this tragedy. Temperatures reached a high of 66 on Saturday and 67 on Sunday, the first time it's been that warm all weekend since early October. Like Jesus being outraged at the effects of sin and death and yet weeping at the same time is like one of those mothers cradling her children. And how easy do we go to see the bean? And how much are we nervous about ever going to West Englewood? But if God calls us to, Jesus would be saying in this, it's better to be obedient and follow him than not be obedient and be in relative comfort. He hasn't said that to me, but I just want to put that out there. We can sit in a comfy room, listen to a message, but do we really believe it? That's as much to me as it is to anyone else. Sorry. Uh, Jesus has spoken of his identity, his power as well. And he's outraged and he weeps. Jesus weeps. Here is a God who understands pain. I don't know what it is in your life where you're thinking God is delaying. I can tell you. He is not a billion miles away outside space and time in the universe, ignoring it. He is weeping for you. He is as furious by this situation as you are. And then the Jews uh, said, see how he loved him. But some of them said, could not he who opened the eyes of the blind have kept this man from dying? So we've looked at Jesus shows his love by delay the death of Lazarus. He talks about how important obedience is as he comforts uh, the sisters of Lazarus. We see that Jesus wanted to prove that Lazarus was legitimately dead before raising him from the dead. So people really know he has resurrection power. And in the face of tragedy, he's outraged and he weeps and then he points to himself. Continue the text, a couple more verses. Verse 38 uh, through to 44. Jesus, once more deeply moved, came to the tomb. It was a cave with a stone laid across the entrance. Take away the stone, he said. 
blood, said Martha, the sister of the dead man. By this time, there is a bad odor. He's been there four days. Then Jesus said, did I not tell you that if you believe, you will see the glory of God? We were singing earlier, God, show me your God, show me your glory. That's Jesus. That's meeting Jesus in the flesh. It's trying to have an encounter with him. You will see the glory of God. Jesus is saying, I am the glory of God. The religious leaders hate it. But it's the most necessary thing that people in grief and suffering and who are loved by him know. Verse 41. So they took away the stone. Then Jesus looked up and said, Father, I thank you that you have heard me. I knew that you always hear me, but I said this for the benefit of the people standing here, that they may believe you sent me. This is a public prayer. When he had said this, Jesus called out in a loud voice, Lazarus, come out. That's the voice, as I say, that's the voice of the king of the universe. Some funny person said if he hadn't said Lazarus and just said, come out, all of the dead would have been raised. And that will happen at one point. But you see this authority. You see this outrage at sin, this tenderness at weeping, this reassurance. Like, if you believe, like, watch this. And this evangelistic reason. says, Lazarus, come out. Verse 44. The dead man came out. His hands, and feet felt, uh, his hands and feet wrapped with strips of linen and a cloth around his face. Jesus said to them, take off the grave clothes and let him go. Jesus performed a resurrection just before going into Jerusalem. You'll read in verse 45 through to the end of chapter 11. The religious leaders at this are unbelievably furious. They're like, that is it. Enough is enough. And he was greeted by lots of people. It's easy to talk the talk. Hosanna, Hosanna when he comes into Jerusalem. And those same voices we'll find out next week were replaced by crucify him, crucify him. Just five days later. Like how fickle are we when things don't go according to our plans? How fickle am I when things don't go according to my plans. Jesus says, take off the grave clothes and let him go. Final pastoral bit I'll just bring to this. When a resurrection happens, takes, sometimes takes a while for the grave cloths to come off. Someone puts their faith and trust in Christ. For some people, you see a, a dramatic change. It's almost like the grave clothes have been ripped off. For others, it's much more gradual. Before we judge one another about resurrections happening in situations or our own lives, just know that grave clothes are coming off and that they'll be fully, they'll be fully uh, revealed, that new creation in the fullness of time. But pastorally, pastorally, uh, God might be delaying in how slowly he's taking your grave clothes off. There isn't a person in here, I'm taking a guess, uh, there isn't a person in here who isn't thinking, why cannot God take this one characteristic away from me? 
Why is there one thing I always struggle with? Why am I tired of being sick and tired about this? Why, when I do it, does it hurt the people I love? Jesus is slowly taking the grave clothes off. When we are troubled by our own sinfulness, we always are drawn much closer into the presence of God. And do you know what that does when we're drawn closer into the presence of God? We realize that we are loved by Jesus. We move from being, what is wrong with me? Does this even mean I'm saved? To, I am loved by God. God who is going to fully reveal himself by dying on the cross. People knew that Jesus was God. He did tremendous miracles that pointed to him. But he did this one for his disciples as well. It's so that they may believe uh, as he has resurrection power. But he's also saying to them, and they would probably, John would realize this later, no, when I die on the cross, that's not the end of the story. I'm going to ask the band to come back up, please. Jesus has done a signpost. He's laid down his life for a friend. Jesus may be showing his love for us in here by delaying in some regard. Also wants us to know the importance of obeying him. Sometimes we are asked to do difficult things. There's nothing more difficult than saying sorry. Jesus, to comfort people, points to himself. Whatever you're going through, I just recommend you just slow down, slow down, take a few deep breaths, and contemplate who Jesus is. Contemplate the God who reveals his glory through Jesus. And know that there is a time when he's going to show his full identity, his resurrection and power. And he's going to take each one of us who believes in him by the hand and walk into eternity with us into his Father's presence. Next Sunday, we're going to have a clear gospel presentation. If you know someone who doesn't normally have a church home, even if you bump into someone this week and you have a conversation with them, maybe you've not been investing for them for a long time, please, of all of the times when we find out how much God loves us, it's Easter. So please, please be inviting for them. We're going to sing a final song. We'd love you to come up for prayer. If you need freedom in your life, if you want healing in your life, if you want clarity and revelation in your life, we'd love to pray for you. There's lots of other reasons why we can be praying for you. Come up and tell us them what they are. I'm going to close us with prayer, and then we'll close out into the last song. Lord Jesus, thank you that you can say, I am the resurrection and I am the life. Help us to take comfort in you in the midst of our shortcomings and help us to be outraged by what's happening in Chicago. As we comfortably sit here, it's not right. It's not the way it was supposed to be. So give us your heart for the world. Help us to share your love with the world. In your name's sake, I pray. Amen.